welcome back to another episode of our MSA Getting to Know Our Coaches podcast. Tony Shebeki, I'm your host for the day, and Hayley Coso, who is our AFL coach, AFLW coach, joins us for a chat. Hello, Hayley, how are you? Hi, Tony, good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on board. Uh, tell us about your history, Where did your, your sporting background. Yeah, um, well, I guess certainly from a playing perspective as a kid, there wasn't sort of many um, opportunities or certainly visible opportunities to, to play footy as a kid. So I didn't actually play club footy till I was 18 or 19, um, but certainly played school footy and, and that sort of thing in both primary school and high school. Um, so there's not, not much to tell really about playing yeah. um, until senior women's. I played two senior women's seasons um, out, in, out in Werribee. And um, then I was I started um, doing a bachelor of sport coaching straight after school with sort of looking to um, become a performance analyst in the sports science department, but um, moved more into the coaching side of things. And through the partnership I was at VU, um, the partnership between VU and the Western Bulldogs, I ended up running the Western Bulldogs Auskick programs um, when I was about 20 years old. And after that, just sort of spiraled from there. And started getting a few more volunteer coaching gigs um, with juniors and um, doing OSCIC programs and school programs and things. Um, and then my first, uh, after I finished playing my second season of senior women's footy, I ended up becoming the senior coach of um, the Bacchus Marsh women's footy team. Um, so that was sort of my first head coaching role. And um, luckily enough, two years later, uh, the AFLW started up for the first season and um, Collingwood were running a female coach sort of development program and they were bringing in um, young female coaches um, to learn from the first season of AFLW and the, the process and the environment and I was lucky enough to um, get one of the spots as a, as a development coach so um, yeah from all of my sort of junior coaching community club and, and all of that I sort of was lucky enough to jump straight into the the AFLW and the VFLW. Um, had a couple of years at Collingwood, a couple of years at Carlton doing a few things. Um, and then COVID hit. Yeah. <laughs> which obviously changed uh, everything for everyone. Um, and uh, last year, uh, after COVID, I uh, asked the Western Jets, um, sent a message to them looking to see if there were any coaching roles going with the female program at the Western Jets. Yep. And as it turned out, across both programs, the girls and boys, there was. And um, yeah, so I've been an assistant coach at the Western Jets across both girls and boys programs for the last couple of years. Fantastic. So while AFL as a sport was a late thing for you, was there any sport before that? Did you play any other sport? Um, I played soccer probably more than AFL okay. when I was younger. Um, just mo- again, mostly school. I, I never really played club sport. Um, I went I went to a soccer camp, interstate soccer camp when I was 12, sort of some of the the best kids in the in the country um, and we learnt from um, Terry Phelan, an ex-Chelsea player and um, an ex-Irish national head coach at the time, yep. um, which was a great experience for a 12-year-old. For sure. Go up to Queensland for a week and, and just kick a ball around. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was it was mostly just, just school sport. Um, yeah. So at what point did you realise that coaching was going to be your asset? Yeah, great question. I think um, I sort of decided when I was about 16 that I wanted to work in the AFL, if yep. possible. As I say, at the time I was thinking more in the sports science department as a performance analyst. Um, but I also had a really great year 10 health and PE teacher, uh, which is why I'm a teacher today. He, he's sort of the reason that I became a teacher. And I guess teaching 
uh, and sport, you put those together and that results mm. in coaching. So I sort of, in year 12, started putting my hand up to sort of help coach some of the year seven um, soccer teams and, and footy teams and it just sort of built from there. I realised how much I liked it and um, when opportunities came up at, at university doing a sports science degree, uh, like the Auskick program at the Western Bulldogs, um, I just sort of jumped on those and it yeah, snowballed from there. Have you modelled yourself in any sort of coach or you've just really taken your own lead? Yeah, I've, I've had uh, I've had great coaches over the years. I've seen some coaches that, you know, I guess show you what not to do. Yeah. Um, again, probably I'd just go back to my, my year 10 health teacher in terms of the way that he went about teaching my, my health class. Um, I, I loved being in his class. He cared about everyone. He made sure that he put time into um, a person's individual interests. He was the school football coach that year as well. So I got to spend a lot of time with him and, and he really... Um, you know, as I say, he spent a lot of time with me building my football capabilities and uh, my academic side as well. Um, so just that, that authenticity of, of being yourself and really caring about your athletes is mm. sort of what I took from him. Um, Let's have a chat about AFLW, and it's really only become a, a prominent sport, I suppose, in the last eight years, mm. even more so the probably last three or four years. It's early induction, while Strong had a lot of naysayers about it and I think people are starting to fall off that now. And, and even though the scoring's still low, I think people are seeing that the actual quality of the football is much better and I think it's winning people over. The introduction of AFL eight years ago came in this blaze of glory. We had sellout crowd at the Carlton Collingwood match the first game and all this sort of stuff. It was a really... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was a really impressive start to a competition that I believe is going to be massive in the next five to ten years. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I was lucky enough to be part of that first game, um, being at Collingwood in the first year as a development coach and uh, certainly a moment that I'll never forget um, walking out onto that ground, 24,000 screaming crazy stands and just knowing that, you know, as a, as a teenager at high school I'd had fights with you know, the, the boys at school, you know, oh, girls can play footy, no, they can't, all of this sort of thing. Yeah. And knowing that after all of that, we, we made it, we were there, it was happening, and yeah. people had come to watch and come to support us. Um, so that was really exciting. I still get goosebumps sort of thinking about it sometimes because of how important it is, especially for the younger girls today. Like, you know, my generation, we didn't necessarily got get the opportunities that maybe we should have to, to play yeah. and um, to follow those, those interests and those dreams, but... You know, knowing that kids today can come and play whatever sport they like as a, as a female and at least have the opportunity to get to a semi-elite level, um, it's really, really important. So I sort of think that was the biggest thing to take out of that game. Um, it, it sort of wasn't about us, even though mm. it was the first game ever. It was about the future. Um, yeah, so it was a bittersweet moment because we lost that game at Collingwood. Yeah. <laughs> so it was sort of, we were happy at the end of the game because of what was happening. But we were also um, pretty miserable on the bus home. Only the least to Can understand that because you're right. There was a time, and I'm sure people remember it, where girls could really only play footy up to under 14. They sort of played boys footy up to under 14, then that was it. There was just nothing after that. Yeah, well, even even prior to that, the age was actually 12. There you go. Um, and it wasn't until Penny Cooler Reed, who's who's now a, a well-established coach in her own right, um, actually as a 14-year-old or 12-year-old, however old she was, took. Uh, the AFL to court to actually um, increase the age that girls could play footy with the boys yeah. for. 
So now it stands at, at 14 because of her and her friends. So, And I'm just trying to remember the name of the, the player, and I apologise for not remembering it, uh, who played with the Hammerheads in the WRFL competition. It was one of the early trailblazing women footballers back 20 years ago. Channel 7 had this team called the Hammerheads that they put into a Division 2 competition of the WRFL and televised all their games. It was like a... Mm -hmm. It was like a, a reality competition to get into the team. Yeah. And then there was this team, it was, ah, oh, it'll come to me. I'll... Not Debbie Lee. Yeah, it was Debbie Lee, Debbie yes. Lee, yeah. Okay. Yep. So she played with the boys in that year. There was a, a dispensation for her to be allowed to play with that team. Oh, there you go. I hadn't heard of that one. Yeah. Yep. No, Debbie is definitely legend of the game and has, you know, contributed a lot over the last, as you say, 20, 30 years and um, has been recognised by the AFL. And, um, I think she recently was inducted into the, the Hall of Fame. Um, women coaching in the AFLW uh, will we get to a stage in the near future do you believe where all the coaches of AFLW teams are women well I don't know about all the teams um, I think there's certainly plenty of female coaches coming through the ranks um, both in VFLW NAV league and assistant coaching and head coaching currently in the, in the AFLW um, I think at the end of the day it still has to be the best person for the job I think we've sort of become very focused on, oh, if it's a female team, then a female should coach, and then a male should coach. And while I'm certainly advocating for more females to be in that coaching space and to be upskilled and, and become um, well-established coaches in their own rights to, to be head coaches, um, I don't know that we need it to be every single team as a female yep. coach. It just has to be that there are good enough female coaches to be in those roles and to contest and to interview and, and put forward their... Um, resumes. So I think that's the important thing. And, and the other way also with men's teams and, and getting more women involved in men's teams in the coaching side, so I think Peter Searle's probably the only one that's had any real involvement at that level. Uh, yes, so she was the first one. Um, so she was a development coach, I believe, at St Kilda. Yeah, um, correct. Currently, Alicia Eva is a coach with the men's GWS side. Um, and again, fan, fan, I coached her while she was at Collingwood. Fantastic person, fantastic footy brain. Um, will easily step into the coaching space, I think, in either male or female space once she finishes her playing career. Um, and, yeah, it would be a great sort of pioneering step for, for her as potentially the second woman to, to go and coach in the AFL men's space. What is the greatest hurdle that still remains for the AFLW? I, I think finding our own space in the sports landscape has been a difficult uh, time obviously competing over the summer originally we sort of had the tennis to contend with let alone the hot weather and grounds over cricket season um, now obviously they've moved it to the August start time so we're in a little bit more clear air in terms of the men's season is just finishing we've really only got like the soccer and the rugby um, playing at the same time but finding a, a niche that's sort of our own so that we get the opportunity to play at the biggest stadiums um, you know to have the prime time broadcast slots all of these things that are going to give our game um, the most coverage, the most sort of exposure that we can to get the people who love the game and who want to be involved with the game um, the best opportunity to come and, come and watch what is quickly turning into a really fantastic spectacle. It certainly is. And one of the things I love is I go to a fair bit of local footy and I just love now the fact that girls will kick to kick at a half-time break or something on the wing. It used to just be the domain of boys... <laughs> And the girls will be playing on the slides or doing something else. But now they're actually out on the ground having a kick, learning the skills and that interaction. And it's, we just know that women's footy is going to be massive in the next 
probably 10 years I reckon yeah yeah definitely and that's the thing like getting getting them involved at such a young age and being immersed in that culture of a football club and having a footy in their hands from when they're young is, is so important for that skill development and, and the growth of the game um, I know I spoke recently to a friend of mine who's a president of a local club and we were talking about their Auskick program and um, he said that say they had about 90 kids enrolled in the Auskick program for next year about a third of those um, were girls excellent compared to you know even five years ago where there might have been one or two um, so a massive jump already and that's 30 kids who, if they stay in the sport, will play from when they're four or five or six years old, hopefully stay in all the way to their draft year. Um, you know, this, the skills are going to be unreal because um, they just have a footy in their hands from day one. Yeah, no, it's going to be uh, interesting to follow and, and interesting to watch. Now, Hayley, we ask our uh, coaches a series of questions that we uh, get everyone's answers to. So there's a, a group of questions that we ask you all. And I'm going to kick off with the first one for you. And what drives you to get up in the morning and be involved with a group of kids on their journey through sport? Yeah, I think um, sort of going back to what I said earlier about my health and PE teacher, like having somebody who shows genuine care and genuine interest in what you're doing and what you want to do in the future, uh, it's a really good feeling as a kid knowing that somebody's sort of sticking up for you and, and helping you along that journey. Um, so to be able to work with, with kids of all ages and sort of say, hey, what do you want to get out of this? What do you need from me? And seeing them improve is just so, it's so rewarding. And, you know, the smile on their face when they get out there and they do something good on the football field or they master something that maybe potentially they've been having trouble with, whether it's a skill or understanding of the game. And um, even in the classroom, the same thing. Um, so just, yeah, I guess helping kids be the best that they can be within their own understanding of what that is for them because mm. excellence is, is different for every kid and, and um, even the level that they want to get to is different. Some of them might not want to get to AFLW. They just want to play football to the best of their ability and so that they're enjoying it and having fun, which is ultimately why we want to play play sport in the first place is to enjoy it. So I think the other thing too that must be fantastic for you is the fact that it Maribyrnong Sports Academy has such a, a great affiliation with the AFLW in, a, in through the draft. A couple of number one picks, a lot of high picks throughout and you've got a group of girls now that are around you that are, are going the same way. They're, every year they're just getting better and better as we mentioned and we know that that, that group is going to continue on, or that, that legacy is going to continue on. Exactly, yeah. The, the standards and the, the programs of what, are, what is offered here is obviously such a big um, part of their journey as athletes, let alone as people, um, and the girl having a girls program, something very new to girls football in general. So you know, traditionally boys almost they have sort of that expectation mm. that they know they're going to receive training and education, whether it's in the gym, whether it's with their skills or their game sense or their fitness in general. Whereas um, we maybe haven't had that so much for uh, female footballers in the past. So to know that there's a program where they can step in and receive all of that education that's going to help them become the best athlete that they can be, um, you know, it just jumps their chances of, of getting drafted up so much more. Um, and as you said, we, we see the results that, yeah, we've been lucky enough to, to have so many draftees from this school. And I continue to digress off my group of questions, but things just are coming into my head. One thing that I've noticed this year, especially with the the amount of girls that we've got playing in the AFLW from MSA, is the amount of tackling that our former MSA girls are doing, and doing it well, and the strength that they're putting into those tackles is, is, is quite amazing. Is that due to the fact that we have those auxiliary programs with our H 
high-performance preparation and all that sort of stuff, that the girls are probably leaving MSA so much more stronger than maybe any other girls from other schools. Yeah, oh, look, no doubt. It's um, one of the things that we sort of noticed very early on with female footy is that um, there's a high rate of injury and particularly soft tissue injury. And a lot of that comes from the fact that females haven't necessarily had the number one research into, okay, what sort of weights and um, fitness programs do we have to do to make sure their bodies are ready to stand up to the forces and the movements that they're mm. going to do at an elite level sport before. Um, and so tackling is exactly the same, whether it's um, being able to put your body into a protective position to protect yourself in a tackle, whether it's getting into good position um, to lay a strong tackle, all of that comes back to the training and the, the fitness and the strength and the core strength especially that they build in programs. So, so um, yeah, if, if girls who are at schools or academies or not at all just playing local footy that haven't had the opportunity to get in a gym and to build that strength, they're certainly starting at a disadvantage. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's get back into these questions. What have you experienced as the most undervalued aspect of an athlete performance? I think maybe if you had asked me this question a couple of years ago, I probably would have said things like the mental well-being and the mental performance. So um, that has become a really big focus in the last couple of years in terms of research and high performance. Um, so I'm probably going to lean more to towards their immediate support network now. Um, we talk a lot about you know their teammates and the coaches and who they who they've got available immediate um, sort of sporting environment, their club, whatever it might be. Um, but I think their home environment and their friends and even their teachers at school um, are such an important part as well. Whether it's just their parents driving them to training or the questions they get asked in the car on the way home from a game, it can be the difference between having a really positive experience and a really negative experience of sport, especially the further they get in terms of um, elite level, if they're playing in representative programs. Um, elite athletes typically put so much pressure on themselves uh, so we often see the difference between parents who are, or guardians or brothers and sisters, whoever it is in their immediate support network, who maybe put a lot of pressure on their own child, coming from a good place, but um, maybe are very, very invested in their performance and um, other approaches that are maybe a bit more positive and try and keep their mind off things when they don't have to. So I think that's probably the biggest undervalued at the moment is how can we have an immediate support network around this, this kid or this athlete um, that is a really positive space for them. Good answer. Nice one. Well done. Uh, as a coach, what do you believe is the most valued coachable attribute of a player? I think their willingness to learn. Um, their willingness to learn and, and to put the effort in because uh, it's a very cliche line, but effort doesn't take talent. Mm. Um, so you can, you can give them as much effort from yourself as a coach as you want, but if they are not willing to buy in and to actually put the effort in, then they're not going to reach their potential. So I think just, yeah, the ability to actually turn up and say, I'm going to get the most out of myself at this training session, at this game, this season, whatever it might be, um, you know, by asking coaches questions, by working really well with their teammates, by leading by example, um, you know, and then obviously the physical effort that you show at training day and the concentration and certainly at that age, you know, depending on how old they are, it's very easy to get distracted by friends and muck around and be a bit silly. 
um, but actually being able to switch on and go, no, now's training time, this is what we need to do, this is what I'm going to do to get better and, and to lead. So I think, yeah, willingness to learn and, and uh, put the effort in. You spoke about that support network behind athletes and how important it is. To what extent can a student athlete's parents or guardian impact their journey? I think it just comes down to being positive and just sort of working out what that particular athlete needs. Um, sometimes they might want to get in the car and talk about the game and sometimes they don't want to talk about it at all, especially if it's maybe not been their best game. Um, we as humans and especially as, as professional athletes or coaches, whoever it might be, you're always thinking unfortunately about um, maybe the things that you should have done a little bit better. Yeah. We often don't give ourselves the credit that we should for the good things that we've done. True. Um, so really just being a, a positive sounding board and, you know, if, if things aren't going your way or aren't, you know, if injuries occur or whatever negative sort of things might pop up in, a, in an athlete's career, really just being at the end of the day, your mum and dad or your guardian or your brother and sister, whatever it might be, and you are there for for positive thoughts, for the shoulder to cry on, to talk to about things that you might need and that no matter what happens, whether you make the AFLW or whether you just go and play Div 5 local footy, as long as you're having fun, you're, you're proud of them and you're proud of the effort that they're putting in. Um, yeah, I think it just comes down to, to that. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, and finally for you, Haley, what is the best piece of advice you can give any MSA athlete who might be listening out there right now? I think don't don't put so much pressure on yourself to be perfect because you are never going to have a perfect game of football or a perfect game of any sport that you play. It doesn't happen. You're always going to make mistakes in life as well, not just, just sport. Um, but the best thing you can do is think about what comes next. So if it is that you've messed up a kick and you put your head down, you know, it's about, okay, I'll put my head up, run to the next contest and get the next kick. Um, we, we don't expect any of our athletes ever to be perfect. Even at training, I think if you've got a perfect training session where all the kicks aren't hitting the ground and the ball never touches the ground and everybody's doing really well, that doesn't look like a game of football. Mm. So perfection isn't actually what we're after. It's failure builds and builds and builds and creates opportunities for mistakes that you learn from, which is where success comes from. So sort of giving yourself the, the space to make mistakes and to not be perfect and knowing that that's okay and you're not going to necessarily feel great about yourself all the time but it's just part of the learning process and the good things will come and the success will come finally where would you like to be in five or ten years time what's the ultimate coaching job for you Haley? ultimate coaching job would definitely be full-time in the aflw at some capacity um i don't really have a i guess a goal in terms of a particular role, whether it's head coach or, or senior assistant or what it might be. I, I'm very much interested in the skill acquisition and biomechanical side of things. So I particularly like working with individual athletes on building their skills and, and working on their body movements and things like that. So even a development coach role at AFLW is certainly something that I've had my eye on for a while. Hayley Gosko, thank you for your time. Thank you, Tony. There's another episode of our podcast, Dun and Dusted, getting to know our MSA coaches. Hope you enjoyed this one, and we look forward to catching you again in a fortnight's time.